0: Welcome to Let's Talk Ideas. I'm Paul Taylor, Innovation Coach. This is a podcast where you'll find us looking outside and sometimes inside the world of Bromford and discussing big ideas with fascinating people. We wanted to start this series talking about exploration, research and critical thinking and why organisations can sometimes find that difficult. So we thought, let's get Rob Rollins along. Rob is a well-respected researcher with over 20 years' experience of helping organisations find the answers they need to make a difference. Thanks, Paul. Nice to be here. Welcome to the show. Um, can we just kick off by you know, letting listeners know who you are, what's been your kind of path through life? Um, how do we end up talking to each other today?
1: Okay, I'm Dr. Rob Rowlands. It's not a title that I tend to use very often unless I'm making a complaint. Um, I've been a researcher for over 20 years, well, 25 years. Um, my path to this has been a probably quite a classic one in many respects. Did a degree, then a master's, then I worked as a housing officer, but then I went back into a university and, you know, after many years of study, I ended up becoming a doctor, um, which is the badge that I think some people like, so they think, oh, that guy knows what he's doing. But really, to me, it's a bit of a millstone. But I've just been curious all of my life. Um, I remember, or I remember being told that in 1983, after the general election, I collared people in the street outside our house, just to see who they would have voted for. And um, because growing up in a slightly politicized house, it was became apparent that my parents perhaps didn't like the uh, the election result. So I wanted to see whether that was the case, you know, whether it was true or not. Um, I think from that point on, I've just I've I've liked asking questions. I've liked finding out more about stuff in life. Um, I'm the kind of person who can get lost in Wikipedia. Or as a former boss said to me, I know a lot of useless information, but I like to think of it as information that I've retained and just hasn't quite found an outlet yet. But what I do now, after an academic career which left me, um, I like grounded research. I like problem solving. I like using information for for good. and, And more so, I like helping other people use information so that they can address problems, they can overcome challenges. So what I do now, I'm a research coach. And I work with clients from sort of organisations of your size, Paul, right the way through to, to small businesses. Um, and I help them understand how research is is used in a practical, everyday way so that they can get to the nub of what it is they need to know so that they can do something with it. You know, my, my motto is that I, I make I make research simple so that you can make a difference. And it's all about we all have questions it's how we find useful answers, which is critical. So it's about you know, providing people with skills and confidence to be able to do that.
0: Yeah, I'm really interested in that and particularly coming back to that idea of curiosity and how we make organisations more curious. But as you say, in a very practical sense, because I think that's um, what people often struggle with. I will say, first of all, um, this is our second attempt, isn't it, Rob, at uh, this podcast report, recording. We did do one earlier in the summer. Um, but I tried to do it myself. We've got Katie, who's in the background here, our producer now, so we won't have that issue doing it again. So say hi, Katie. She's there, I think. Hello. Sorry. Couldn't get to the mute button quick enough and mute rather. That problem, that problem. <laughs> so Katie's going to keep us in good order. So first of all, last time we did it, there was a sound issue, which I did in the end with the aid of artificial intelligence sort out. But then when Katie rejoined the organisation, I... Press the delete. Well, I had to wipe my laptop and restart it, and I wiped the recording. So here we are again. It'll be much better this time. We'll it.
1: Well, I think I think there's a point in here, isn't there, Paul? That, you know we've done it once, it didn't work. Um, we could have we could have hidden away from the fact and we ignored it and gone along with our lives as if nothing had happened. But no, we've we've rescheduled it. We've learned from what we did last time, and hopefully this time we'll uh, we'll be able to rectify some of those mistakes and, and they won't happen again. But that's that's what we need to do in life, isn't it? And ultimately, that's part of what research is about, is, is understanding what didn't quite get right and then what we can do differently next time. Absolutely. I mean, thinking about that, do you think the word research puts people off? Um, oh, yeah, very much so. I, I, I continually wonder whether I should call myself, you know, what, what I should call myself when I introduce people, what I call my business. You know, I'm Rob Rowland's research. But most people will say, "Oh, am yeah, you know, I don't need any research at the moment, but ask them, do you need to you know, do you need to know answers? Do you need to know something? Oh, yeah, I need to know this, but I don't know how to find it. Well, that's research. absolutely last with a question. It's then understanding, well, where and how am I going to find that information? And then thirdly, it's about well, what do I, how do I make sense of what it is I find so that I can use it in a practical way? to move forwards you know call it research call it problem solving call it information finding call it train spotting It's, it's not just about information accumulation it's not about somebody in a white coat in a lab it's not about somebody who calls themselves doctor or professor coming along and doing something for you it's it's about real life questions it's about trying to find answers
0: yeah i mean that's interesting because you know coming at it from the, the kind of the other side, you all know, hear that people say, you know, we don't need research on that at the moment or we don't. And you think, well, that kind of implies you've got the answers to all the questions and problems in your organisation, in which case you're very lucky if you have got that, but I don't know many businesses that run that way.
1: Well, I think you're right. And I think we want everybody to learn from their mistakes. And it got me thinking about scenarios where we do learn from our mistakes. And it got me thinking about the way you, if you get a speeding ticket, I'm just, You've just had one now. Everybody I speak to who's had the ticket, gone to the speed awareness course, and said to me, "Do you know what, Rob? Yeah, you yeah, know, they, well, kind of gone and you know, got got the naughty boys, naughty girls course could have been speeding and oh yeah, great, that's going to be an it's going to be a morning that I'm really going to lose." And the majority of people I know who've been on one have come back and said, "Actually, do you know what, Rob? I learned something from that. I wasn't expecting to learn from it." But they've learned from the mistake, and that's the you know that's the that encapsulates that process. You, you know, something something's happened; it's not gone the way it should have gone. But there's been an opportunity to have some learning, and you know, this is this is where it, particularly for public services, I think it's the fear element of failure that failure is branded as such, and fa- failure is something to avoid instead of thinking. We don't live in a perfect world. We need to We need to keep going. But if we're going to do that effectively and efficiently and economically, well, actually, we need to be mature about this and say, right, what didn't work there and what could we do differently? What could we do better as a result of what we found out? And, you know, it comes back to that that gap in our knowledge.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the spin course is a, is a great example because I had that exact experience and I learned a lot of things that I... You know, I, I I had no knowledge of, or I'd forgotten, or I needed to relearn or unlearn some things as well that I'd probably got. I mean, I've spoiled it by saying I've just had another speed in CKMN, basically, but the, you know, that was a few years ago, to be fair. Let's go back to what we were talking about in terms of kind of um, research and people saying they don't need research, you know. Um, I don't know if these statistics are absolutely 100% accurate since I, I wrote them, but but Apple spend about 17% of their profits on research and development. Amazon seem to spend almost all of their profits on research and development. But in the public sector and the kind of the social sector, R&D can either be a niche activity or the first thing to go as soon as budgets are kind of you know tightened. Why, why do you think that is? Why, why do you think we've got that approach or well, that, 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 that
1: kind of take on it? It's seen as a luxury, like you said. It's it. It comes back to the it comes back to the, the the mindset that we have around public services that money is only efficiently spent if somehow it's spent at the front line. But I mean, let's face it. You look at the NHS, and that that is an illustration of how money spent on the front line alone is not going to solve. Yeah, he, is actually an inefficient use of resource because, you know, with, without understanding how you can turn some of these big ships around, which are problems, yeah, then you're not going to you're not going to address it. So I think it, it is seen as a luxury, but I, at the same time, it's seen as something that is often too often contracted out to others, as opposed to a process which is done internally. Where you sometimes need the help and the input of experts in particular kind of technical fields. Yeah. So it's the, you know, I, I, I used to do a lot of contract research when I when I was um, based at KERS at the University of Birmingham. And I look back at that time now and you look at the briefs you were given by clients and the, the tasks that they were asking you to do a lot of things which you think, well, there's a different you know there's a different way you could do this. you could do this in-house, and that but that requires investment, not necessarily in a research in a research team, but just skills and confidence of staff within the organization to be able to do some of those tasks. you know to be able to do a literature review or you know I hate that term literature review because it just makes you think oh I've got to go around and read some books or stuffy academic articles you know. It's about understanding where exactly, what 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 do I know already about about the problem, about the question that I'm trying to ask? You know, the answer that I'm seeking to find, what what bits of it do I already know? That's a, like, that's a literature review. Well, that type of thing could be done. It's not to say you can't get an external expert just to add to it and say, look, you know, we've missed anything here. But it's not saying just go away and write me, you know, 10,000 words on, on this this problem, because you know, a lot of it I already knows. So I'll pick up inside housing, uh, you know I can, I can read various blogs and I'll be able to find that fairly quickly. and it's it, it, a level that is sufficient for me to address the problem. So it, it, if you have a research brief like that, you have a brief from a client like that, you're thinking how much money have you just spent on something that you could be doing yourself? And it's taken it away from the substantive technical part that you want me to do. For example, you want me to run some focus groups for you. Well, you know, I could have run you three or four extra focus groups based on the money that you've had to put aside for that part of the brief. So it's thinking about people being intelligent consumers. It being an intelligent consumer then requires you to, to to look at investments that you can make elsewhere, which are not necessarily pounds and pence investment, but it's about, you know, it's about upskilling of staff. It's about providing confidence. It's also about thinking strategically about the, the information that you really do need. And if you start to address research, as we, you know, we'll, we'll budget for, for one of the better phrase here, start thinking of it in those terms. Research and development should be something that we're doing every day. It's you know it's then thinking, right, okay, how do we embed that process back into the organization so that we are getting? more from it you know i'm I'm working with a housing association at the moment that is um that that adopted the four-day week as part of the global pilot that people will have heard about in the the news they're they're the only public service organization in the uk that is part of that global pilot the global pilot is kind of quite a broad brush high level sort of does this work doesn't it work we've had a, a series of of kind of mini projects that we've we've done there which has started off with is four day week working for that organization and as we've moved forward it's come down to a how do we measure performance within the organization because it's not just a question of is four day week working it's also you know is the are various other things working because it's that dynamic situation but the work we've done together has started them to get to ask those questions and then we have worked together to say okay well what what measures, yeah, you know, what, what what do you call good performance across the organization? Now, how, you know, how do you measure that good performance? And Neil, what metrics have you already got within the organization that you've already you've got there that you can you can use to monitor? And finally, well, now what do you need to go? What else do you need to put in place to do this? And you've you've gone from something which is very niche to something which spans across the organization and won't help won't just help with four day week. It will help with numerous other ongoing, forthcoming and previous kind of challenges that they've had to be able to address, okay, it, it, are, are we are we achieving what we want to achieve here?
0: That's fascinating. And I think, you know, the, the illustration there of them being involved in, you know, a fairly kind of important but kind of random um, uh, project or, or test has forced them or, or, or led them to answering an absolutely fundamental question that most organisations don't actually go about answering that, you know, what's productivity, what's good performance, actually, all of that. That That's really fascinating. Building on that then, um, going and going back to something you said earlier about even the news, you know, um, I was thinking that this morning in a sense of there's so much kind of noise and misinformation stroke disinformation out there. We're all having to become what was your phrase in more intelligent consumers and you know being able to in our personal lives as well as kind of work lives so thinking about going into organizations and helping people being more critical thinkers what are your kind of your top tips for critical thinking and obviously we still want you to go into organizations rob so don't do yourself out of a job or a project here but how do you lead people on that path of more critical thinking
1: I think just in terms of what you're saying about fact finding, I think part of it comes back to the: you know, do we do we actually understand the things that it is we're talking about? You know, in the language that we use. Let's go back to the speeding ticket, right? Drive along the motorway, and it says average speed check. What do we mean by the word average? Because if you look at the behaviour of motorists on the motorway, you will get the three different types of, of average <laughs> because you've got you've got your mean average which is the classic that if i give people and you know i do this in a workshop i say you know here's here's, here's, a, here's a bunch of workers who work in a factory and here's their spread of their, their different wages can you tell me the the average wage and what everybody does is they add up all of the different wages and divide it by the number of people so that's the mean average it's what most people think of so that's what the speed camera is testing, or that's what I'm assuming it tests. That it will give you the average right the way through that, you know, whatever the the run of the the, the speed cameras is. But you have got two others. You've got the you've got the median average, which is the one that's right in the middle. So it's the one that we use mostly when we talk about house price average house price. We talk about average wages in the in the you know in the in the labour force. We use a median and the median is to say, okay, right, there's twenty there's yeah, there's twenty five people for argument's sake, or twenty-five houses will take the price take the, the, the price of all those houses or the, the wages of those workers, and it's the thirteenth one is the middle. That's the that's the middle point, so that's our median. But then you come to the final one, which is the modal average, and the modal average is the one that occurs the most frequently. So, I'm assuming that that guy in the BMW is just like come razzing it down behind me in the m six who's you know belted up behind me and suddenly puts his brakes on for the uh, for the for the speed camera's assuming it's a modal average that he's hoping that every he's gone through most of them at seven at fifty and that the three that he's gone through at hundred and ten are the outliers, so it doesn't matter, so he's got the modal average so it yeah we. You can think of many times in organizations where we use language like that. We use the words average. We don't really appreciate what these terms, what these terms mean. And, you know, we've got a prime minister at the moment, it goes on about people doing mathematics till, um, till 18, because we've got to be, you've got to be, you know, we've got to have greater data literacy. I mean, data literacy is more than numbers. Data literacy is about well, you know, what question do it was asked or do we need to ask? It's the it's the where does the information come from? How has it been acquired? And then what have we what are we doing to crunch that information to 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 so that we you know we can make sense of it? And part of that is understanding what bits of information and data are left out. It's the what you know in looking for both. It's looking for the flaws each time in each of those stages to say, okay, right. What bit isn't there? What bit is being missed out and How does that then adjust or, or change the story that I'm being told here? Because, you know, we don't live in a perfect world. And whilst I've said on the, you know, said in the discussion we've just been having um, this morning, that you can, you know, you, you, there's various ways that you can go out and find information. and. I'm trying to encourage people. There's no perfect way to find information and there's various different ways to find information. I think it's the, at the same time, it's always just having that voice in the back of your head saying, okay, what have we missed here? Because I'm not going to get perfect information. I'm getting the sufficient information for me to be able to make use of it, to be able to do something with kind of great, greater confidence. But at the same time, I'm always thinking, right, I can still get more. I could, I could find this out better. How do I, how do I do that better? Now, yeah, if you, when you, when you've worked as an academic, you know, you're always told, you know, you never close off the research project. You always leave it with, with the next set of questions. And yeah, people from the outside will look in thinking, well, that's fine because that's all about, you know, getting the next research grant or the next contract to do something else. And, you know, I think that there is an element to that. However, I think in reality, we, 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 yeah, we don't get that 100%. If you think of it as a pie chart, we've always got that like little bit at the edge that we're going, right, we still don't know that bit. How, how, do I, how do I get closer? How do I close that gap more and more? And I think, you know, it is it, it, if, going back to the question you asked, it's about having that ability to, to comprehend and understand information better. You know, w- what's it telling me, but what isn't it telling me? and then be able to say, okay, what do I need to ask now so that I can you know, can start to fill that gap?
0: I think you've hit on an important point there as well about a lot of organizations think about data in the sense of numbers or a numerical value to something, and and I think that's really important. I'll move on. But, by the way, you did do a perfect reconstruction of how I got my speeding ticket, actually. All right. so other than I haven't got a BMW, it could have been you in the middle lane analyzing what I was doing. Um, I'm just hoping my insurer doesn't listen to a... her. <laughs> um, you've written about kind of a first world problem, basically. A lot of people talk about potholes and the problems with potholes, and you've written about that and about short-term thinking. Could you share your kind of thoughts around that?
1: Yeah, well, people can listen to the uh, listen to the pod, my podcast on this one or read the blog. But to cut a long story short, I hit a pothole round the corner from my house. And I watched over a number of months, the way in which the pothole was remedied by the, the local authority. And, you know, it's one of those processes where it, first it's, it's ignored, then it's filled in, but the filling in only patches in the, the immediate hole. It ignores the other holes around it. And over the next few months, you start to see, well, the, the, the hole is filled in is degraded because it's the, the, the patch that's been put in really just didn't, it wasn't fit for purpose. You know, filmed the hole that was there at the time. But it's not long lasting because it hasn't taken any consideration of, of, the, of the wider context. And this is where I used pot holes as the analogy. And we've kind of, we've, we've been talking, we've been talking around this, um, as we've been discussing it this morning, it's the idea that instead of, you know, instead of looking for that quick fix, instead of saying, oh, there's the hole. Well, I've got just about enough budget that I can just, I can fill that one hole. Okay. I'll go spend the money and fill the hole. It's taking a, it's it's stopping. It's taking a step back and saying, okay, what are the other holes here? And how good are the edges around the hole? What you know, can they support me just putting this one thing in? Or do I need to go back up the up the stream? Do I need to understand the process, that wider context to be able to say, okay, this is what I've got to do here. I've got to uh, yeah, I've not just got to fix the hole, I've got to, I've got to remove more of that hole, you know. The, the the solution for the pothole near me could have been to uh, to um to take out more of the you know take out the various poles that are around it you know it could be instead of a meter squared it could be three meters squared so okay if we do that then it's going to have a better fit mm. and then the next question is well what's the rest of that stretch of road like, and you look at that stretch of road and there's like there's more potholes down it. So is it more is it more economic and efficient to say, actually I just need to strip a hundred meters of that road, relay it completely and leave it. Now it kind of you can understand why this happens in this such a short term way within public services, where budgets are set on an annual basis, there's no certainty or security over that longer-term vision. So at the same time, the value of doing anything in that longer term is lost. You don't think, all right, well, actually, if we spent money doing a 100-metre stretch of that road, it means we're not going to have to come back there and fill in any potholes for five years, maybe six or seven. So there's a real benefit instead of us having to keep on sending out this crew of guys with a little bit of tarmac here and there, but ultimately all you do is create triggers broom in the um you know in the in the in the road patching sense that yeah it's the same road, but my God, how much tarmac has been chucked into various holes that have appeared over time. Because again, with research, if you don't take if you don't take note of that wider context, if you don't look at where is this where does this challenge, where does this answer? Fit into something, then the, the, you know, it's not an efficient use of resources to address that problem. It's it's some of the time it's saying the immediate question you have isn't the real question. The real question is something else. Think about well, what is the real question here, and then ask that. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And and, and the interesting thing there that that really reflects on something I've been working on recently because we're six months into a new Bromford strategy, and We've been trying to get people to be more curious, be more patient, ask more questions. And one of the central things in the new strategy is about, you know, being more place-based, not having a one-size-fits-all service and actually applying different things to different places and things. We haven't defined what a place is, okay? And we're six months in and we still haven't defined what a place is to Bromford, but the questions we're asking or what people are kind of discovering for themselves and the kind of the interesting takes are having on things. As you said, we started where we were, which actually we've got no clarity around that. We haven't answered the question yet, but we've got a damn sight more information now. It's really interesting questions, really interesting findings and research that simply wasn't there. And part of this as well, I think, is about getting people comfortable with that, but actually we don't know that at the moment. But we know we will answer that question. We just, we definitely, sometimes we don't even know when
1: we'll answer it. I think it's also about putting, it's putting yourself in the shoes. Yeah, you know, particularly when we're talking in in, 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 the, in the context to which you, you, you know, you're, you're, you're addressing with the, with the organization strategy, Yeah, you know, a lot of the information you need is coming from your customers. But how many times do you ask your customers in the language which suits the organization, but they don't really understand? So I had a I use this example last week in a a conference session I was doing for for the Bathroom Manufacturers Association. And it was a survey from a a well-known high street catalog store, you know, and they kind of sent it to me. And there were two questions about price. And it was very, very specific about the quality of the price and then the affordability of the price, something along those lines. I can't 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 remember the exact detail. But even, even me with my, you know, geeky researcher hat on, I'm looking at it thinking, well, what the hell do you mean between the difference between these two? You know, it's the kind of, it's that put yourself in the shoes of the people that you're asking the questions to and then say, do I know what, would I know what they're talking about? Or, you know, can you explain that question to to one of your friends who doesn't work in housing? And if they say, "I don't know what you're on about," you know, can you rephrase really it into into in a way that the person is going to give you the information, your customer, and say, "Yeah, actually, Paul, yeah, I know what you're saying there. Well, you know, if, if, yeah, instead of saying well, what makes up a community, are there are there ways you can tease out, like, what what do you like about living around here? You know, is it?" Do you, have, do, you, do, you, do you have many, do you have many friends? Do you talk to many people? Is that a good thing? You know, let's think about the the way in which the fifteen minute city has been kind of really ridiculed ridiculed by some elements of the uh, of the political um, classes in the last couple of weeks. And then, if you talk to people about a fifteen minute city, my God, you yeah, you can go with all sorts. But like I saw somebody else say somewhere, well, if you said to them, would you like to be able to, act, you know, get to a local shop? There's a cash machine. Uh, there's a pub nearby, and it's it, you can walk there. You don't have to get in your car. How many people do you get? Oh god, yeah, that sounds quite good. Yeah, because our you know our post office shut, so you know I'm not, not able to get out. The local pubs shut down, you know it's the it, it's simple changes like that go a long way towards get getting better insights rather than <laughs> there's a tendency. Let's use the organization speak. And then when people come back and go, well, I think the the second bit is, do those people think that you're listening to them? And again, it's about patience because the relationship between a lot of public public service organizations and their customers has not been great for some time. And it's the, you know, there's various reasons for it. I did some uh, work earlier in the year and it was a, it was a Devo deal um, survey, a consultation in a, in a, in a county in England. Yeah. And it, it, it was a large county. It's probably got about half a million people living in it, but they got 1200 responses and thought that was, you know, they, they they thought it was the communication strategy that had let them down. It's like again, it's the pothole thing again. It's not the communication strategy. It's the fact that over, you know, over a period, over a very long period of time, people have just thought, yeah, we've had all these initiatives that keep coming out, but you know, it doesn't matter what I say to you, you're just going to go ahead and do it anyway. You so, didn't. do they do they bother? You know, it's the, in that case, it's the the silence tells you something, and you have to read into that silence. But equally, it's then the well, okay, the people who respond, by and large, the keyboard warriors who want to uh, want to vent their spleen. When you want to listen to listen to them, vis-a-vis That wider silence. But if you you know if you if you if you actually build genuine trust, if you show people that you listen, and you know that's about the changes that need to be made as a result of of what they say, then you're going to build you know. People will will feedback more, and it comes back to the. There's no silver bullet, and you're not going to be able to address all of these challenges and problems all in one go. So it's how do you how do you how do you chunk that up? How do you make these put these into bite sized tasks where you can incrementally get intelligence, feedback, insight that enables you to then make make the necessary changes.
0: There's a load of insight, isn't there? In those silent customers, as you say, they're not the usual suspects, and everything that that's. That's absolutely so true. End question, Rob, is that, you know, if we you could ban one organisational behaviour or initiative, what would it be? You can make this as profound or as petty as you like. I'll tell you my petty one. I would ban energizers at team meetings and away days, you know, when people say, we've got to build some more energy in the room and they do a task or whatever. I'd ban them. That's the one thing I'd get rid of in organisations. What's yours? I'd ban
1: well, that's a really good question, Paul. Um, it's okay bad. It could be change. I think it goes back to what I we, what we've been kind of skirting around all the way through this. It's the it's the search for perfectionism, and absolutism. I'd get rid of both of those. I'm sorry, I'm going to be greedy and have two. You know, perfectionism. We've got to recognise. That things ain't perfect and it ain't ever going to be perfect, but we can improve on what we're doing. So it's recognizing there's learning to be had there. How do we access that learning? How do we how do we make use of what we have around us to be able to learn better? And it's using the information, data, intelligence, insights, feedback to be able to do that. So let's let's think of that. And the second one is that absolutism. You know, Ridley Scott says that you know, life um, life ain't black and white. We live in a million shades of grey, and you know it, we've got to understand the grey better. We've got to understand the nuances there. So again, it's about being able to look at information, ask deeper questions, and look at the finer grain to work out well where is it that we can we can do what it is to, we need to do. Where are the where yeah where are the changes to be made? Where are the opportunities to do things? Um, as much as where are the threats and the weaknesses that we have, and it's it balancing all of that out. So it's yeah, the two things: get rid of the perfectionism. Admit you know it's going to be there's going to be mistakes, but learn from them. And secondly, life ain't black and white, so don't look for the absolutist. It's the it's the grays that we really we need to be exploring.
0: That's a that's a perfect way to kind of wrap this conversation up because you know thinking about that ourselves, well, we're you know we're six months into a new four year strategy. And we keep saying to people. There'll be a strategy after this one, and there'll be a strategy after that one, and that one and that one, and there'll still be an organisation that's got problems and opportunities and asking loads of questions. So it's a it, it, it's a journey, and it's, it's a continuum, isn't
1: it? So thank God if, if if your strategy is smart, Paul, it's gonna it's gonna take the learning on board. It's gonna keep saying, okay, we wanted to do this. What have we achieved? Now, which bits did we achieve? Do we still want to achieve them? If we do, how do we, you know, how do we, how do we, how do we learn? How do we take you forward? But equally, the world's changed. Which bits don't we do now? And which bits, which new bits, do we need to adopt? And that's all about that learning process and research in the widest sense of the term is at the should be at the heart of it, rather than at the periphery where it's luxury. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you know you're talking about leveling
0: up the kind of organizational intelligence and. That, that that that's absolutely it so well thanks so much if people are interested in either talking to you or getting you in for a bit of help in terms of problems they've got how do they get in contact how how do they keep in touch with you
1: you can you can find me on twitter i'm rob Rao res um i've got a website it's robrollands.co.uk you can send me an email it's ask at you can find me on linkedin as well otherwise just ask paul they can put you in touch with it
0: yeah well, I, I i'm still refusing to call it x by the way so i'm sticking with twitter i'm not buying into it that's my other petty thing that i'm not kind of moving over on um thanks so much rob uh thanks everybody for kind of listening or watching any of the clips um there'll be future fascinating guests soon um wherever you're listening to this or watching this can you please like and subscribe and give us a rating if possible five stars only that will really help us thank you and we'll see you again soon thank you